Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as our guest speaker delivers this week's message. Good morning, church. Who's excited about a brand new series today? Who's just finding out we have a brand new series today? Probably some. That's okay. That's okay. Um, hey, so I, I'm really glad that you are here and that you're joining us. And, you know, I do say that every week, but I mean it every week. I do. I, I really love when people are in the room, when we worship together. There's something special about when we sing the praises of God together, when we encourage one another, when we sit under the teaching uh, with one another. All of these things are valuable, and I think that these conversations help shape other conversations that we even have outside of this room. Like, for instance, in life groups, I think so many times these conversations that we have within this space just continue on outside of these walls. So all of those uh, conversations and all those experiences are vital, I believe, to the Christian life and what it is that God wants for you. Not just that he wants you to do, but what he wants for you to take in. Well, our series is called Shiny Happy People, and I think that with a series called Shiny Happy People, I have to qualify what it's about because it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of, uh, kind of a sermon title or you know the whole series title. I thought about this and kind of knowing what it was that I was going to preach throughout all of these weeks and knowing that in Matthew 23, where we're going to be in a few minutes, this is actually some of the most serious This is one of the most serious chapters in all of the Bible. And it's serious because the way that Jesus is is confronting some issues of individuals who are getting in the way of other people coming to Christ. And yet, if you were to look at these people and how Jesus would just tear them down in so many different ways, and he would just call them out publicly in so many ways, which we'll talk about over the next several weeks, what you see is they they were one way on the outside, but they were different on the inside. And, and by a shiny, happy person, it means that, and what I, the, even the way that this graphic looks, is they look one way on the outside, but on the inside, they're totally different. And if we're, not, if we're not really careful, we as Christians can do the exact same thing. We can actually fall into the trap where we can become these shiny, happy people that look great on the outside and get all cleaned up, all gussied up, as some people would say, and yet on the inside, we're completely different. So what I want for us, and I believe what God wants for us throughout this whole series is, as we look at these these messages, these woes of Jesus to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law, that we would look at these not in judgment to who's being talked to, but instead look at them from a perspective of, am I a shiny, happy person? Am I someone who's like Fred, who's going to be He's going to be co-teaching throughout this whole series. He's not going to say a lot. He's just going to stand there in judgment of the crowd. That's what he's going to do. Uh, Fred actually scared me half to death this week. Uh, I had asked Dolly to bring Fred in as an illustration for this series. And I had asked Dolly to bring this in. So it's been like this placeholder in our calendar. That in the shared calendar at the church, it just says Fred. And I know what this means. It's Fred. Fred is coming. I know Fred is coming. So every time I would come over into the auditorium or anywhere to the upper room or anything, Dolly would remind me. She would say, hey, I'm just letting you know that, that Fred is in the auditorium. I said, okay, 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 great. You know, Fred's in the auditorium. Got it. No problem. Well, I came in here one day this week. I don't even know what it was for. 
And I opened that door, and the door happened to be locked. We have a lock on that door now. So I'm like, I'm opening the lock and trying to find the key and doing all the things. And then I opened it up, and I was like, <gasps> Fred. Well, at first, I didn't know it was Fred. I was like, who's in here, and why are they in the dark? This is so weird. And I had a minor heart attack, but I survived. It's okay. I didn't have to go to the ER. But it was one of those things. It just scared me half to death. But here's the thing. Fred is very lifelike. If you see Fred in, in a dark room and Fred is just like this looming character in, Fred has scared many people in the church, many people intentionally. And this is kind of a running joke at the church. Fred has been like a fixture here for a long time. But here's the thing. If you were to be on that side of the room or if you were to be out in the foyer looking in here, Fred would look very real from a distance. All cleaned up, gussied up, looked great. But the closer that you would get to Fred, that you realize that it's not all what it, he's not all what he's cracked up to be. He can look away from a distance, but yet if you get close, things are different. And you and I can be the exact same way. We can be the shiny, happy people from a distance, and we can be those people from a distance where it looks great, but yet if people actually get involved in our life and speak truth into our life, maybe connecting to what we talked about over the last series talking about spiritual friendships, if we're to be honest in those realms, sometimes the shiny, happy people syndrome actually keeps us from being known or from knowing other people. And even more devastating than that, being a shiny, happy person can actually keep other people from knowing God is what we're going to see with the Pharisees. We all, in some perspective, and I have a way of illustrating this, we all, in some perspective, send messages or maybe even send text messages to other people, and we use these things called emoticons that actually, I'm just letting you know, sometimes we do things on the outside, but it's not actually how we feel, right? So I have a couple of emoticons just to kind of prove my point, and I think we'll all be on the same page with this. Who's ever sent this emoticon right here? Here's the first one. Who's ever sent that one? Some, some people have sent this emoticon to people. Were you actually doing this with your face when you sent the emoticon? Please tell me no, please tell me no, please tell me no. You weren't. But we send this. Here's another one. This next one is rolling on the floor laughing. Look at this one. I've sent this to people, but I've never been rolling on the floor laughing when I've sent this to someone. But I've sent this. I sent this yesterday, as a matter of fact. I've never been rolling on the floor laughing. We, we all have a way of kind of portraying something on the outside that's just not true on the inside, if we're honest. Here's the next one. I have no idea what this one represents. It represents everything. I'm, I'm pretty sure that person needs to go to the doctor too, but I'm not really sure. There's a lot going on there. So if you've ever done that, you need to be at the altar and praying later. That's what I'm saying. Here you go. And the next one, the last one is this, is if you've ever sent this one, I just want you to know, A, you need to hydrate because, like, I've, I've cried before, right? Both tears, like, uh, I'm an ugly crier. I just am. But, but here's the thing. Ever, I've never cried like that, ever, because I know I need an IV drip if I cry like that, okay? So if you've ever sent that, there's some part of that that you're sending out a message that's just not true. Of course, that's just a lighthearted way of saying the same things. We can all look different on the outside than we are on the inside. We all can. We all can. We can all fall into these familiar traps. And hopefully we won't fall into the familiar trap that we see right here in Matthew 23, verse 13. 
There are seven woes that we're going to mention over this series. Today is only the first woe. And anytime that Jesus had a, a conversation with the Pharisees, usually it was a very sharp and direct conversation. There's only one conversation with the Pharisee that's not as sharp and direct, and we're actually going to talk about that if the Lord wills and I remember. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But the rest of them, the conversations go much like this. Verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. So Jesus is giving his first of the woes to the Pharisees. And as you can imagine, a woe is not a good thing. A woe is, is, is an attention-getting thing. A woe is... It's Jesus is calling them out, but yet he's not just calling them out to say, hey, I got you. Instead, he's, he's condemning their behavior, but, but that word woe means, it would mean condemning behavior, but he's also grieved by it. So he's moved emotionally by saying it. So this isn't the person who's just, just ready to just ram truth down someone's throat without a drop of grace in it. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. This word woe is, he's not afraid to call them out publicly, but in doing so, he's also grieving the fact that he has to say it. Oh, church, so, so many times when we're actually sharing with one another or we're, we're actually having real talk with, with one another, when we cut past the facade with one another, when we move past the, hey, how are you doing, I feel fine aspect of life, when we actually get real in one another's life, there needs to be a sense of, yes, I'm bringing this truth to you, but I'm also grieved at the fact that I have to bring it. This doesn't bring me joy that I have to bring you this news. I haven't been looking forward to bringing you this news, but I feel compelled to give you this news, and my heart is breaking because I'm giving it. This is the sentiment that Jesus gives. When he's talking to the Pharisees, he's understanding who he's talking to and clearly what he's talking about. And he uses this this word, woe, over and over. The Pharisees themselves, they would know the full weight of this word woe because it has a connection point with the Old Testament. That they would, they would know this connection point with the word woe because this is the type of language that, that God spoke through Jeremiah and God spoke through Isaiah. They would know. There were four prominent religious groups in this, in this time period in history. The first group was the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection, and they were known for compromise. They were willing to give up what they believed to align themselves with the Romans or whoever else could make make them better or make them have a more prominent position. The Sadducees were known for compromise. There was a group of uh, prominent leaders also known as the Zealots. They were more militant. So if if there's a word that would define them, it's militant. They thought that and believed that that it was up to them to cause the revolt. It was up to them to maybe even bring about uh, the Messiah and coming, that it was going to be by by militant effort, and they they were the tip of the spear in that regard. There was also another group of people. They were more the separatists. They were known as the Essenes. They were made popular, if you know anything about history, and I love history, but if you know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, 
The scrolls that I believe were found in either 1946 or 1947. In the caves, in the, the Qumran caves around Jerusalem, around the Dead Sea. Hence the name, Dead Sea Scrolls. It's believed that the Essenes were the ones who put them there. That they would go off into these caves and they would transcribe parts or largely all of the Old Testament and then also some other ancient writings. And they would store them in the cave and they were found in 1946 and 1947. This was such an astounding thing because it actually verified it verified what we believed about the Old Testament. It verified what we believed about these ancient writings, that they were true. And here was more evidence of that truth. It's believed that the Essenes, this separatist group, who just wanted to get outside of Jerusalem, they just believed that they were waiting for something significant to happen. And they, they believed that they just had to be outside of society to take part in it. So the Essenes were the separatist group. How many groups have I gone through so far? Three. The last one is the Pharisees. The Pharisees are different than the others. The Pharisees, they did believe in the resurrection. They believed in the Old Testament. They believed in a strict adherence to the Old Testament. And, this is an important piece, and they also believed in a strict adherence to the oral laws of the time. That is actually what got them in trouble. That and their origin. They got started in the time frame between the Old and New Testament. It's known as the intertestamental period. It's about 400 years or so. The people of God were under oppression. There was a revolt that happened through a family called the Maccabean. It was the Maccabean Revolt, the Maccabean family. Eventually, that family splintered, and there was a group that was represented at the time called the Hasidim, H-A-S-I-D-I-M. The Pharisees were out of that group. They were a group that was so, defined, so refined, they thought that they were the caretakers of truth. And any one individual who believes that they can be the caretaker of truth, just know oftentimes that goes wrong. And it went wrong for them because they were prideful and they were doing things to be seen and they were saying things to be heard. And they actually were getting in the way of what God wanted. So they then we know historically in the Gospels that they are actually some of the people who were corrupt in seeing Jesus crucified. They were enemies of Jesus. The Pharisee, if you hear Pharisee, a word synonymous or meaning the same thing for us as Pharisee would be hypocrite, which is what we see in verse 13. That Jesus is calling them out publicly. He knows their storyline. He knows how they, they stand prideful in front of all the people. And they love to be seen and they love to be heard. And Jesus calls it for what it is. He calls them hypocrites. Let's backtrack just for a minute. Right back to the beginning of chapter 23 verse 1 is where we'll start. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, Jesus says, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their their, uh, phylacteries 
wide and tassels of the garments long. They love the place of honor and banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi for for you only have one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father for you are for you have one father, capital F, notice that. And he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher for you have one teacher. Capital T, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Notice how Jesus goes from speaking to the crowd, and everyone's listening, to then there's a subtle shift that's head on right to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He's speaking to the crowd, and he's telling the crowd, hey, the teachers of the law and, 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 the, and the Pharisees, don't listen to them. Don't do what they say. They're actually an obstacle for the gospel. You're only going to go wrong if you actually do what they want you to do. If you listen to them, if you comply with what they're saying, you're only going to be doing the wrong thing. What's tricky is this. Pharisees would have been this, the, the most, they would have been the model citizens of the day. If you'd have looked at them on the outside, they would have had it all together. There was two different references in that passage. One was the word phylacteries and the other one tassels. They mean two different things. These were actually prescribed in the Old Testament, but where the Pharisees went wrong was the phylacteries were like these, these leather boxes during certain traditions and customs. They would have these leather boxes and they would put scriptures right on their forehead for everybody to see. And it, it was just... It was done there because of what was talked about in Deuteronomy 6, right in the beginning, in an area of Scripture called the Shema. I realize it's a little deeper than what we usually go, but I'm trying to be true to the Word. So they would have these leather boxes, but they weren't just happy with having just leather boxes. Instead, they had to have bigger boxes because the bigger the boxes were, the more attention they would get from other people. And the more attention other pe- that other people would give them, the more holy that they would be perceived by other people. Oh, my goodness, look how big the, the, the phylacteries are on their foreheads. But also the tassels. That meant something different. With Orthodox Jews, they still have tassels that are still worn, by the way. But for the Pharisees, these, the tassels represented the Ten Commandments saying, yes, we believe in the Ten Commandments. We're living in light of the Ten Commandments. But it wasn't just the fact that they had the tassels that were dangling from them. They had to be longer and longer and longer so they'd be seen by other people. It was all a front. It was all hypocrisy. The Greek word for hypocrisy, I put this in your info card. It's the word hypocrites. It came to be an actor in the worst sense of the term or a pretender, one who plays the part, one who wears a mask to cover true feelings, one who puts on an external show while inwardly showing thoughts and feelings of a very different kind. This is that word. That audience, and now the audience who's listening to me talk right now, whether you're in the room or you're somewhere else, This is the heaviness and weight of which Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He's saying, you are actors. You're not the real thing. You're fakes. You're pretending to be something, but you're not. You may look at this and say, well, 
why would they have been, or why would Jesus have been so upset about this? The reason why Jesus would have been so upset about this is because what they were doing is they were shutting up the kingdom. Verse 13 again. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. So picture it. And we know this because we see movies, and it's a shocking thing. And if it's ever happened to you, it's even more shocking. If you're standing at the door and you actually want entry into some place, and somebody just slams the door shut in your face. And I'm not just talking about you seeing it, but imagine being there, and you're just so eager to get in, and they slam the door in your face, but you're so close to the door that your hair moves. Like, that's shocking. This word that Jesus is giving is a shocking word. Well, how did they shut up the kingdom They did it first by refusing to to receive the message of John the Baptist because John the Baptist was a precursor of Jesus. He was simply preparing the way for Jesus. John the Baptist's message over and over and over, and this was actually the beginning of Jesus' ministry as well, was this message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. They were eager to have John the Baptist out of the way because he was one who was just getting in the way of what they wanted. Because he was one who was willing to speak truth in that regard, to stand up even though it did cost him his life. They refused the message of John the Baptist. Second, they they were refusing to acknowledge Christ himself. They were enemies of Jesus. We see this throughout the Gospels. And lastly, they were shutting up the kingdom by keeping the true meaning of the Scriptures from people. They were trying to be the the keys to knowledge of the Old Testament knowledge. Instead of, hey, this is what the Old Testament says. This is what the Bible says. Instead, they said, come to me and I'll tell you what the Bible says. Come to me. And then they would would take the Bible and they would mix in their, their oral laws and traditions. And it would be all mixed up. And then it would be a perversion of the truth. And that would be what they would spread out. And Jesus is saying that is hypocritical. That is hypocritical. Keeping people from the truth. Let's talk about closed Doors, closed doors. You see, what might be some closed doors? What might be some things that, that we would actually do? Maybe that we would actually participate in, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Sometimes there's a closed door when we don't allow someone to grow spiritually beyond where we think we are. That's a closed door. Closing the door to to not allow someone to grow beyond where we are because we're insecure. A closed door is keeping someone from serving in a particular position because we want that position. So so maybe we say things or do things to, to see to it that they don't get that position instead because just we want that position. What might be another way? A closed door is to say that unless you are a certain denomination or unless you go to a certain church, you'll never get to heaven. That's a closed door. That's closing the door in someone's face to say, we are the ones who are the caretakers of truth. No one else is. You have to come here to see it. You have to come here to listen to it. 
What's another closed door? When we lie about how we feel on the inside while we have a shiny, happy face on the outside. Because people can see right through it. People, people know when you're not being real about what's going on. People know. So let's talk about some open doors. What might be an open door? Well, I have several examples of open doors. Actually, one of the open doors I could give you is what happened uh, with Jesus and Zacchaeus. You know, the, the wee little man, the wee little man was he. You know the song, right? In, in Luke 19, 1 through 10, Jesus opened the door to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was someone who was was conjuring up ways to, to cause people to pay more taxes, and he would line, he would line his, his pocket with their money, and he was doing this over and over and over. Jesus comes into Jericho, and, there's, and then he just comes into town, and, and because Zacchaeus can't actually see Jesus because he's so short and because the crowds are there, Zacchaeus, he, he does what no man would do in that culture. He runs, for one, which they, men didn't run in that culture, and then also he climbed a tree, which men, grown men would not do in that culture, just so he'd be able to see Jesus. And Jesus calls him down, and then Jesus says, and Jesus opens the door, and he actually opens the door to Zacchaeus' house. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have dinner with you today at your house. What are we having? I added that part, but that's basically what happens. <laughs> the, the, Jesus opens the door to Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus is curious about Jesus and about the gospel and curious about what that means for his life. So Jesus opens the door to Zacchaeus' house and then Jesus sits down with the tax collector and the religious leaders in that time would have thought that would have been so taboo. How in the world could Jesus do that? There, there was another example in John 4. Jesus and the Samaritan woman. The woman who was caught in adultery in, in such a shameful, there's so many reasons why Jesus wouldn't have, shouldn't have been culturally talking to her, but yet he chose to talk to her. And he talked to her because he loves her. And as he's talking to her, she goes out and then she goes back to her people and she says, I, 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 I want to tell you about this man who knows everything about me. And yet he's never met me. Jesus opened the door I could also tell you about a gentleman by the name of Cornelius in, in Acts 10. Such an amazing story, Acts 10 and 11. Cornelius has this dream. He's, he's, he has this dream, and he's trying to make sense of this dream and trying to, to try and piece it all together. And Jesus is trying to open the door to his life, but Cornelius doesn't know what is going on. So then Peter has to interpret Cornelius' dream, and then Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter tells Cornelius, hey... The gospel is open to you. You don't have to be Jewish to receive it. Speaking of which, here's another open door. You could go into, into Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem. And at that council, they're trying to decide how Jewish you have to actually be to be a Christian. And when they're making this decision through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they realize, whoa, 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 we don't want to close the door by imposing the rules and laws of being Jewish before you can become Christian. Instead, 
We just want them to have a couple basic things, but they don't have to be Jewish to be Christian. They can just be followers of Jesus Christ. They can come into the family of God through repentance and confession of their sin and accepting and asking Jesus to be their Savior and to be the Lord of their life just like everybody else. They don't have to be Jewish. Uh, I could tell you another example of an open door that happened in John 3. A gentleman by the name of Nicodemus. Do you know what his job was? He was a Pharisee. He's the one exception to the rule. Of all the times that Jesus talked to Pharisees, he's the one exception to the rule. Jesus talks to him. Nicodemus comes to him at night in a secretive way, wanting to come to Jesus. And Jesus is welcome to have this conversation. He welcomes Nicodemus in, and he sits down and has a deep conversation with Nicodemus. He understands Nicodemus, and he also understands what Nicodemus does and what he's, who he's been around and what he's believing And Jesus says to Nicodemus, as Nicodemus is trying to make sense of Jesus because he knows there's something significant and special, Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again. And then he was confused, as I would be too in that setting, be like, how does that work biologically? I just don't understand born again. Like, And then it's, it's of course, spiritual rebirth. And Jesus patiently walks him through it because Jesus is opening the door. I could also take you to John 10, starting in verse 7. It's one of the I am statements of Jesus where he says, I am the gate. Some translations say that speaking of Jesus' word says, I am the door. The reason why the Pharisees got in the face of Jesus and they got in the way of the gospel is because they wanted to be at the door. When Jesus was saying, the gospel message is so much better than that, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. Let me give you some takeaways I'm going to go through these kind of fast and furious. They're not meant to take long. I don't know if you're a note taker or not. But I would say this. If you are a note taker, if the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you about one of these things that you're going to write down, write an asterisk, a star, underline it, bold it, do whatever you got to do. Follow up with what you hear today. And sit in. And ask God to show you why this thing stood out more than the others. These takeaways are are things that are not in this passage. So in some ways, maybe you think they're anecdotal. I could give you scriptures for all of them. But what they are, they are ways to, to help you not to be in the way of someone else in their walk with God. First takeaway is this. Learn more from God's word. You need to be informed on the truth. It, it, we, we receive information all day long, every single day, seven days a week. We receive messages, not knowing if they're true or if they're not true. We need to center ourselves on the word of God and we need to learn from it. 
We need to learn more from God's word. So therefore, we will know what is actually true and what is not true. And how to, to counter the lies with truth. The second, listen to what God is saying. Listen to what God is saying. Not only when you're in the Bible, but also when you're praying, when you're doing your devotional time, when you're sitting in the service, listen to what God is saying. Sit still long enough to receive the message of grace to you. The graceful message that may tell you something to do, may tell you, say, tell you something to say, or maybe just remind you of who Jesus is. But listen to what God is saying. The next one I think could be the most powerful. It's this. Look for things that make you feel uncomfortable. Look for things that make you feel uncomfortable. If you're in a situation, whether it's in here or in the Word of God or in prayer, look for things that make you uncomfortable because the things that make you uncomfortable are reminders that there's a stirring. That there's a stirring. That there's a stirring of the Spirit. He's, God is, is making you feel uncomfortable for a reason. Sure, you can bury it, you can neglect it, you can walk away from it, you can pretend it doesn't exist, and it will only stunt your growth and only perhaps get in the way of somebody else's. So look for, way, look for things that make you uncomfortable. It could even be a conversation where you're about to have a real conversation with someone, but there's something inside you that makes you feel uncomfortable about sharing it. That easily could be God wanting you to trust Him to get outside of your comfort zone. The things that make you uncomfortable also are the things that we tend to hide from. We tend to hide from those things that make us uncomfortable. And the things that we're hiding from are most likely the things that God wants to bring to the service to remind us that we don't have to hide from them anymore. Fourth is this. Understand that lies and deception will be revealed. When you go through this process, and this is just the spiritual life. This is the spiritual life at 30,000 foot. That's all I'm showing you right now. That's all this is. I'm showing you a glance at 30,000 foot, but I want it to be at ground level. Understand the lies and deception will be revealed. And that too is God's grace to you. Speaking of God's grace, the fifth is this. Lean into God's grace. When we acknowledge the fact that we're sinners, and not to wallow in who it is that we used to be, but to accept who it is that God is causing us to be now, we lean into God's grace, and instead of, of people looking at us, and, and we have a, a portrayal of either being the shiny, happy person, like, I'm perfect, my life is perfect, instead of going that route or going the opposite extreme to say, no, I'm miserable, I'm always miserable, my life's always going to be miserable. Both of those are indicators that you're not leaning into God's grace. Because when you lean into God's grace, you come to God and understand that he has saved you from your sins. You don't need to wallow in your sins. You're not who you used to be. You're who it is that God's making you to be now. Who could say amen that God still forgives? So for you and I, we need to lean into God's grace. And last on this list anyway is live every day in submission to Christ. Live every day in submission to Christ. One of my favorite ways of doing this 
is by going through Matthew 6, 9 through 13. If you have your Bible, I ask you to go there. This isn't something that I go to I, like all the time, and this isn't something that I think that you have to do every day to make sure that you're right and all these types of things. It's simply a passage of Scripture, and it's known in, commonly known as the model prayer. It's Jesus' Jesus's model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, but there's so much here. So I need to be reminded of this on a regular basis. I don't do this in some religious way. But I do it because it's true. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, out of the mouth of Jesus. From his heart to yours and mine. He gives this, this way of praying. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I need to be reminded of these things. And I'm sure you do too. This is one of the things that I, I pray on a regular basis. And I pray specifically and slowly on the part that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because I want the word of God to remind my heart and to remind my brain that Jesus is my Lord. And if Jesus is my Lord then my life should be one continual open door so I can know and I can be known and I don't have to live my spiritual life as a shiny, happy person. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for modeling for us what it means to live this spiritual life well and right. Jesus, we praise you because you are a God of second and third and fourth chances. God, we praise you because in a time and space where we need the truth, you are the deliverer of truth. And it is always a truth with grace. And Jesus, I also thank you that in, in time and space like this, there are open doors. Open doors to, sh to show us who it is that we are and who it is that we should become. So Jesus, I thank you for loving us first. I thank you for loving us always. And I thank you for loving us all the way to the cross. That you submitted yourself to the authorities. Willingly accepting the punishment for our sin. Understanding that the wages of our sin is death. And it's a death you died for us. 
but the gift of eternal life comes through you. So Jesus, I don't know who in, who in the house today needs this message. I don't know who in the house today is, is walking in disobedience. I don't know who in the house today would be considered a hypocrite. I don't know who in the house today whose spiritual life is soaring. I don't know, but you do. So Jesus, as we move forward, God, stir in our heart. Remind us of your presence. Do what it is that you want us to do. Amen. Would you stand? You know, I can't help but think of how many times maybe you've been in this room or you've been in the middle of a conversation and yet the closed door was your heart. God was knocking. He was trying to get your attention. He was trying to say something to you. He was trying to say, hey, I love you, but you were too busy thinking about your boyfriend or girlfriend. He was knocking on your heart, but you were too busy making that shopping list. He was knocking on your heart, but you you were just so busy about the meal you were about to eat after church. Or he was knocking on your heart and he was reminding you of the forgiveness he's given you. But the way he was reminding you is the fact that you haven't forgiven someone else. And he was knocking on your heart, but your heart was cold and closed. Oh God, open our hearts today. Show us the open door. Give us the humility to walk through it. If God's speaking to your heart today. Don't waste this opportunity. If God's given you an open door, walk through it. Walk through it. Don't play church anymore. Don't try and be an actor and act your way through it. Accept God's open door. As we continue to move through the service and as we sing, if there's an open door that God's presenting to you and and maybe your way of walking through that door is coming to the front to ask for prayer or just maybe to just praise God, you're welcome to come to the front. If it's for you and and, and the door can't be, it's it's not to come to the front and it starts in the seat, then stay in the seat. That's fine. But don't miss the door of opportunity that Jesus is, permit, is, is permitting you to walk through today.